0: Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi everybody, welcome along to another episode of The Dispatches. It's great to be back with you. If you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, wherever you're listening right now, whatever platform you're on, Why not hit that little subscribe or follow button, and that way you will be kept updated about every single episode of The Dispatches that goes to air. We normally publish two to three episodes of The Dispatches every single week, and this way you will know as soon as a new episode is published, and as an even better deal if you become a patron of ours at patreon.com forward slash left foot media, the link for that is in the show notes for today, then you will get access to an extra four to five patron only exclusive episodes of the Dispatches podcast every single month. There's a special episode every week that we produce just for our patron supporters who contribute $5 or more. That's about a cup of coffee each month to Left Foot Media. And as a return on your investment, as I said, you get four or five extra episodes of The Dispatches podcast every single month. A huge thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are amazing. And it's thanks to you today's episode is possible. Not only that, but it's thanks to everyone who's been tuning in, who's been spreading the word that this podcast has just taken off in a major way. Uh, As of this week, we are now ranking in the top 200 Uh, Spotify podcasts that are listened to in New Zealand so that's all of the podcasts that people can choose to listen to on Spotify in New Zealand just for New Zealand we are ranking in the top 200 we're about 154 at the moment we reached even higher on that list about a week ago I think we got to about 33 about a week ago that's just amazing for this humble little podcast that's just sort of kicked off really recently so a huge thank you to all of you that that's because you've spread the word you've tuned in so thank you thank you thank you on Apple iTunes man we're in the top 100 we're trending about 93 at the moment in the news uh, podcast section on Apple iTunes and in the news commentary section we are trending at about number six, which is pretty awesome. We've actually been trending at number one in that section previously for several days in a row. So a huge thank you to all of you guys. It's just amazing. Without you, none of this would have been possible. Right, let's get into today's topic of conversation. Why vaccine passports are not a good idea. No matter which way you spin this, whether you look at the moral or the practical application of this, This really doesn't make a lot of sense. And it also raises some really, really big red flags that I think are are, are big danger signals about exactly what is going on here. So the reason I'm talking about this is because this afternoon it was announced literally only an hour or two ago by our Prime Minister that as early as next month, as early as November, New Zealand would have a vaccine passport system. And this is for people inside our borders. So this is a domestic passport, which means that you can't do certain things if you don't have a vaccination. Let's look at the article. Let's get it straight from the mouth of the government, exactly what it is they're talking about here, or in this case, even some of the vagaries. Because when I read this article, and I've read it a couple of times now, I have to say, I was concerned by what I read and both what's coming out and also the lack of detail here as well. So let me read from this New Zealand Herald article from only an hour or two ago. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has revealed that vaccine passes or certificates will be used in New Zealand from as early as next month. They will be used to lessen the risk in high risk settings like hospitality and large gatherings, Ardern said. They will be required at events like music festivals, Ardern said. If you are booked for a summer festival, this is a warning or a heads up, go and get vaccinated. That's a direct quote from the Prime Minister. However, they won't impact people's ability to go to essential services. They will not be used for public housing. The passes or certificates will be a physical document and something you can have on your phone. So they'll either be an electronic or or a physical passport of some kind. They are papers, effectively vaccine papers, either an electronic or you know literal paper form. It will likely be able to be used in November, Dern said. And here's another quote from her. It's one of the best ways we can ensure summer plans can go ahead uninterrupted. To enjoy the things you love, you need to be vaccinated this month, not in December. That's quoting the Prime Minister. To enjoy the things you love, you need to be vaccinated this month, not in December. And this is one of the big questions I have. Is this a vaccine passport or a vaccine mandate? Because it it sort of sounds a lot like a mandate. Ardern encouraged people to bring their vaccination forward as soon as possible. Ardern said there could be circumstances where certificates weren't mandated by the government, but were mandated by event organisers, for example. Which to me, that doesn't seem like a good idea at all. This doesn't sound like a very stable rule of law type situation where, uh, you know, your individual citizenry uh, can't guarantee whether or not uh, one group or another is going to make these demands on them. I don't know. I would say at a time like this, you actually want some sort of legal clarity, don't you? Consultation was being done with the hospitality industry to see how certificates would work in their sector. She wouldn't address whether it would be mandated for gyms as final decisions on this hadn't been made. That comment gave me pause to stop and say, what do you mean? So what you're suggesting is that if you've got unvaccinated people then they wouldn't be able to access a facility that is designed, that is specifically designed to increase health. And one of the big ways that it does that is by the reduction of obesity. In the middle, by the way, of a pandemic where we know that one of the most important comorbidities that you can have and, and that will increase your risk of serious outcomes or death for COVID is being obese. And they're talking about the possibility of unvaccinated people being barred from a facility that would actually help them become less obese. Doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the fact that that's even being discussed, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Dern said social gatherings and church events weren't often mandated for vaccine certificates, but those conversations were ongoing. Uh, hold on a minute. So what do you mean these conversations are ongoing? Who exactly is having a conversation about churches and vaccine mandates and who exactly are they having that conversation with? The people this would directly affect and punish, by the way, based on their particular choices around vaccination? Or is this just one of those conversations where a very tiny group of technocrats and people in power get together and make a decision and then impose it upon the rest of us. And what do you mean social gatherings? And what do you mean you're even having that conversation? Why would you be having a conversation about social gatherings? Because that seems to imply that if you had a barbecue at your house, you would not be able to invite unvaccinated people to your home for a barbecue or for a social gathering. That, that's what that sounds like, right? Because that's what a social gathering is, is it not? However, she acknowledged she was very cautious about mandating it in too many areas. Again, I don't take that to mean anything. I know people rush off with statements like that and say, no, it'll all be fine. Look, she's promised us. She's promised us. To which I say, don't be so politically naive. That This is classic, um, I'll tell you what I need to tell you right now type speak. And what this means is we you, you can't put any stock in that statement. Uh, I, I'm very cautious about mandating it in too many areas, but that doesn't mean that I'll come out in a week's time and, and you'll discover that I've mandated it all over the place. And then I'll just tell you, look, I was cautious about this, but the experts told me to do it. See how that can work? So you really can't put any stock in that. That doesn't mean a thing. You've actually got to see... Uh, You know, the black ink of the law. What is the actual law? What is the demand they're going to make of us in black and white? That's what we need to see, not bizarre sort of political statements that don't really get to the heart of the matter. Ardern indicated the point at which someone was fully immunized was 14 days after their second dose. Ardern confirmed there would be provisions for the people who couldn't be vaccinated under the very limited circumstances in place. She said vaccine passes were not practical going into a corner dairy, for example, which indicated at what level they would and wouldn't be used. Well, with all due respect to the Herald, um, that doesn't really indicate that at all. She just said she feels it's not practical, right? But that doesn't mean that that won't be the, the actual outcome, that in a week's time we might be told, well, in actual fact, uh, you know, after further consultation, we, this, is, this is what's going to happen. Or individual dairies could mandate this. If there was a form of COVID that does not respond to vaccine protection, Ardern said life would revert back to alert level framework. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ardern said booster shots would be able to be incorporated into the vaccine certificate tech proposed today. Oh, so once we're on this treadmill, we don't get off it then. And quite shockingly, uh, Stuff.co.nz in their article reported a quote from Judith Collins where she said that she would actually allow business owners, for example, who owned a supermarket, private business owners, if they wanted to, they could ban people from the supermarket if they didn't have a vaccine passport. That is insane. That, whatever position that is, I'm not even sure what to call that, it is not authentic conservatism. This is some sort of authoritarian statism in a blue dress. It's absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. I'm just, I, I, I have lost a huge amount of respect for Judith Collins over the last 12 to 24 months. It started before COVID, her big shift on some major moral questions and policy issues in this country, where she completely shifted her position purely for political expediency. And, and I'm, not, I'm just not interested in voting for politicians who don't have character. In fact, I've got a future episode coming up about that, about what I think is a good thing to look for in a politician. And uh, yeah, a lack of character is one of the things that you want to avoid at all costs. Um, but to hear someone say, well, yeah, I think we could start banning people from supermarkets. Oh, really? So in a small town, you're going to ban people from accessing an essential service because they don't have a vaccine, which I guess brings me to an interesting point, And that is this, you have to be extremely careful, extremely careful with this type of behavior and legislation. Now, let me say it one more time. You have to be extremely careful because there is a very, very, very fine and porous line between a vaccine passport and a forced vaccination law. They can effectively become that. A vaccine passport can effectively become a forced vaccination law and drag. Very, very simple. And here's how that happens. Basically, you start limiting access to so many different facets of ordinary, everyday, humane existence, to people who are not vaccinated, that all of a sudden, the only way that they can conduct themselves with a normal, humane, flourishing life and be included in your society and not segregated by a form of healthcare or pandemic apartheid I prefer the term pandemic because it's not. I don't think healthcare professionals surely would be buying into this, but it's 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 a more of a pandemic apartheid, and and so the only way to be included and to be able to live a normal human existence, like for example, have a job, go to a pub, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, go to church, uh, have social gatherings, uh, you know, all, all those kinds of things, would be to actually get a vaccine and get your your little yellow card your little piece of paper what i'm not sure what color it'll be your 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 papers and without that you will be denied access to the normalities of human life to the normalities of the society in which we lived it, it 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 is it is that simple it really is that simple what you end up with here and this is why I'm so worried about what I've heard today, is that it's, it's extremely concerning because it actually sounds like a type of lockdown for the unvaccinated. So if you get vaxed, we'll let you out of lockdown. But if you're not vaxxed, then I'm sorry, pal, you have to stay in lockdown. And all of these people running around saying, oh, it's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all at that point. Once you... Uh, apartheid people out of your society and say, well, if you want to get back in, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. What choice do they really have if they want to live a normal, humane, functioning kind of life where they're actually participating in society? There's no choice in that. I mean, sure, I made a choice, but I had no choice but to make that choice. You see how that's not really a choice because you're not truly free to actually make the choice. And here's a big question that everyone needs to consider once the tap is on, so once we turn on this new glorious form of statism, will it actually be turned off? Because I tell you what right now, governments have a history. All governments of all stripes and flavors throughout human history, they have a history of keeping powers, not relinquishing them. I mean, the fact that she's even talking about the technology being prepared for for booster shots already gives you an indication that they are thinking about this as a long-term taps on and it doesn't go off for quite some time. These things have a very, very bad habit of getting stuck in there like a tick and not actually being turned off, and that's a question we all really need to consider because once you give a a group of bureaucrats and technocrats this kind of control— and they start to see the utilitarian benefits of controlling people in this way, uh, don't, don't be so naive as to think that they won't start discovering lots of other wonderful uses for this newfound power that we've just so freely handed over to them. I mean, it's something that absolutely has to be considered. But here's the thing, even if you don't want to look at all of those kinds of things and you say, well, I'm not too worried by this, Brendan, it's just a practical measure and I'm so trusting and and have absolute optimism that when the time is right, this thing will get turned off, so it's no big deal to me at all, I'm all for it, have a think about this, and that is the practicality of whether or not this strategy even makes sense because will it even actually achieve what it's supposed to achieve, what it's claiming to achieve, which is a a new level of safety. Because here's what we know. There is clear data now from around the world that vaccines have waning efficacy. So how the heck are you actually going to ensure that people aren't just vaccinated? Remember, they, they have to be vaccinated within a particular time frame if what the data is indicating pans out to be the case. And that would have to be within about six months. So if you were vaccinated seven or eight months ago, there's no clear indication at all that you've still got that same level of protection. Secondly, the vaccines definitely reduce death and hospitalization from COVID, but they don't prevent it It's amazing talking to people who don't seem to understand this. It can and does still happen. So, for example, in Sydney, the Delta outbreak in Sydney, so far they have had 36 people have died in that outbreak who were fully vaccinated. So that's, to give you a percentage number, that's 11%. One out of every 10 fatalities was a person who was fully vaccinated. Now, people look at that and they go, yeah, but the other 89%, Brendan, they were unvaccinated. Yes, but the point is this. What that shows you is that you can still die. You can still end up in hospital, even if you are vaccinated. So the vaccine passport, though, doesn't treat the vaccine as if that's the case. The vaccine passport treats the vaccine as if it's this absolutely foolproof magic silver bullet guarantee that's going to protect people. And I guess the interesting question here is, what's the real danger anyway? If you're you're vaccinated, then it seems to me that you're protected, aren't you, from the unvaccinated? Because your chances of going to hospital, your chances of dying are definitely greatly reduced. So why would you have a problem being around unvaccinated people? What this actually looks like is a punitive and coercive measure on the part of the government. So in other words, if you don't go and get vaccinated, we will ban you from all sorts of different public spaces until you are vaccinated. See how this actually looks more and more like a forced vaccine law rather than an actual passport? And here's the thing this is the quite important bit, vaccines don't stop transmission. This is like, this is so, so important, this point, because from a practical perspective, what exactly are you achieving by gathering together, I don't know, 5,000 vaccinated people at a music festival under the assumption that that means that you're not going to have COVID if everyone's been jabbed. That's not what that means at all. What you could actually end up doing with this is you could end up creating government-mandated super-spreader events. That's the reality of this. But look at what's happening in Portugal. Portugal right now, by the way, is the country to watch. They are the petri dish for this vaccination strategy. Why? Because as of a couple of weeks ago, Portugal has now achieved something that was considered statistically improbable or impossible actually before this point they have now vaccinated every available adult in their population they've got about 85% total coverage of the whole population they've run out of adults to actually vaccinate they've got full coverage of all their vulnerable elderly so they've done something here the only the 15% left are the people who who are either too young or who can't get vaccinated. So what they've done here is they've actually done, they've they've gone beyond the target. They're not 90%. They've got 100% of their adults, right? They've really done the business. And here's the thing. If you listen to and you read the public statements being made by Portugal's health officials, despite achieving the fa- this, this mammoth feat, they are still worried about what could happen next. They are not certain they've actually got themselves out of the woods yet. Here's a country that has maxed out the vaccine target in the, quote-unquote, best way possible. And their officials are still uncertain whether that's enough. They are saying that they are concerned about when winter rolls around very soon, what will happen then. They're expecting there could be another wave. Very concerningly, they have also been collecting and scientifically analysing uh, blood samples for COVID antibodies. And the latest round of testing that they did from aged care facilities produced a result that even based on what they were expecting, they were expecting some reduction, they were shocked by what they found. What they discovered was that in their elderly populations, in the care homes, more than one third of them had no visible antibodies in the latest round of testing. And that raises some really big questions. So I guess my question here is, will New Zealand be shocked when we get to the 90% target, if we hit that target, and then we discover that things are not all as they were promised to be? If I was a betting man, I would say one of two things will happen Well, maybe both, I don't know. One of two things will happen when we get to the 90% target. One is that we'll get told, well, in actual fact, now the data from around the globe says that's not enough. Or number two says uh, we have reached this target. Let's say we exceed it, but we're still concerned. We're still worried. We don't know if it's enough because there's lots of unknowns here. This is why Portugal is so interesting and so important, because they will start to give a clear picture over the next 6 to 12 months about exactly what is what you know what what it will look like to have a uh, you know such a massively vaccinated population and number 2 the portuguese health officials have every reason to be crowing about this and 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 blowing their own trumpet but they are not they are acting with extreme caution and concern what does that tell you the top experts in a country that have achieved this massive vaccination target are still not 100% convinced. That tells me that the reason they are still not 100% convinced is because in actual fact, the actual data on the ground is so scant that they can't have anywhere near a degree of absolute certainty. And that's why they're not acting like they have absolute certainty because they know that that just isn't a possibility right now because we don't know enough. We don't know enough. But the problem is that our politicians and our media have been selling people the idea that the vaccine is the answer here. But here's the thing if you're listening and, and you know it, it's it's been obvious that that's not the case. Just just over a week ago remember when Sean Hendy, He's one of the modellers who's advising this government right now. And remember, there was a whole controversial moment when he came out. He was part of the 1pm press conference, and he said he thought that 7,000 people could die. remember that, over a year. And there was criticism of his modelling. Well, let me quote to you from how Hendy responded to that criticism. Hendy said, there was considerable uncertainty about how much the Pfizer vaccine stopped the virus spreading. Let me quote that again. Hendy said there was considerable uncertainty about how much the Pfizer vaccine stopped the virus spreading. That was publicly said by an expert advising the government just over one week ago in this country, and it was in the media that was published. In Portugal, by the way, they've used the Pfizer vaccine. That's what they've used as their vaccination of choice as well. If you don't believe Sean Hendy, let's have a look at what the Ministry of Health website says under their page on COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness and protection. And let me quote directly the relevant statement. While the data is clear that vaccines protect people from the effects of COVID-19, Actually, that opening statement there, I've just realised, is not 100% correct now, is it? We know, for example, from Sydney, where we've had 36 people who have died who are fully vaccinated. Then probably a more correct phrasing of that would be, while the data is clear that vaccines provide a reasonable degree of protection from the effects of COVID-19. Let me carry on. Research is ongoing to determine whether a vaccinated person could still transmit the virus to someone else. So to be safe, we must assume there is still a risk of transmission. Let me quote that again because this is hugely important based on what we've just heard today from our government and our Prime Minister. Research is ongoing to determine whether a vaccinated person could still transmit the virus to someone else. So to be safe, we must assume there is still a risk of transmission that statement has come directly today, the latest opening and refreshing of the Ministry of Health COVID-19 website. Now, why would that be important? Well, because this vaccine passport proposal that our government is now rushing ahead 100 miles an hour to implement runs completely counter- to the Ministry of Health's own stated advice here. There's no guarantee that transmission will be stopped with a vaccine, and so we must assume there is still a risk of transmission. Well, a vaccine passport does not assume that there is still a risk of transmission. It assumes the exact opposite. Think about that. A passport assumes that once you're vaccinated, You can't go spreading the thing around. So you get access to all these wonderful places because you can't go spreading it around, right? Otherwise, why would you create and and allow mega events, large gatherings of people where this thing could be spread? So from a purely practical perspective, this doesn't even make sense with the Ministry of Health's own advice about vaccines. Why is this happening then? Well, just to finish with, I think we're in a perfect storm right now. We've got desperate business owners, and rightly so. They find themselves in an absolute pickle because of the response to COVID and what's gone on, and they're desperate. They're trying to protect their livelihoods, their ability to feed their families, to keep staff employed. So they're desperate to get out of this crisis. You've got a population that is under siege. Particularly if you're in Auckland and obviously now Waikato, but really Auckland has been enduring this lockdown, this hard lockdown, for weeks and weeks and weeks now. And the rest of New Zealand is still under a state of restriction, although not as restricted as Auckland, it still does uh, place significant restrictions upon New Zealanders. So you've got a population that's under siege, and there's this constant barrage of fear and fear-mongering about all of this and death and dying and everything else. You've got a, thirdly, you've got a government that is in political dire straits right now. This is a government that sold itself first time around. Uh, seems to have sort of acted in a way that, you know, you'd have to assume the way they've acted. They sort of thought they'd dealt with the problem and that maybe there would be a fix by now that, you know, so that in New Zealand would sort of just be able to carry on. And I don't know, maybe they thought it was a vaccine that might be available globally or some other treatment. And so, you know, we've dealt with it. We had our lockdown in 2020 and look, it it went away. But they didn't really prepare properly. They didn't really think through and plan. They didn't really act like a government should have acted in a pandemic. Uh, We've discovered today that $51 million of taxpayer money was wasted on the whole consultancy and initial stages of that Auckland cycle lane bridge, the absolute white elephant that was going to cost about $800 million to complete. And that was all done in the, million, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. So in the middle of a pandemic, they've scrapped the bridge now. It's not going ahead, the cycle lane bridge. But even the fact that it's not going ahead, they've already spent at least $51 million. And according to the article I read, it could end up being more because the final filings are not sort of complete yet about what else might be involved around the fringes. That's a lot of money to waste at the best of times in the middle of a pandemic to be mucking around with that kind of stuff shows that your, your eye is not even on the prize. And so as a result of all this, you've now got a government that's in political dire straits. You can't really sell yourself out of this problem. You've got to substance yourself out of this problem. You've got to have a substantial solution to this. This government, it seems, is its sixes and sevens. And so things are getting politically dicey for them and governments are very dangerous. They're like a trapped animal in that kind of situation. And then fourth perfect sort of thing that's come together to to create this perfect storm we're in is, is that we've got a promised panacea on the table. And that's the promised panacea of the vaccine. It's being sold to the world as if this is the panacea that will fix everything. Now, yes, if you listened carefully to proper experts, you can see that those who are acting like proper rational experts are not talking about it like a promised panacea, but the media and the politicians are not speaking about it in that kind of way at all. They are giving a sense of finality and certainty to to this whole strategy. This is the thing that will solve the problem. The Prime Minister saying just yesterday, you know, if more people were vaccinated, we wouldn't have this problem, talking about um, the Waikato region. That is the speak of someone who is selling a panacea, a silver bullet, which is actually guaranteed to fix the problem, to cure all that ails you. All of this has come together in this perfect storm. And now we've got a moment right now of desperation and fixation. And that's not a good thing. It's very, very risky. As I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, right now we are entering into, I think, the most dangerous period or one of the most dangerous periods of this pandemic. You know, once you add desperation into the mix, when you've already got fixation, generally things unravel in ways that are not good at all. As I often like to say to people, when principles are overruled by panic and utilitarian pragmatism, ethical problems always ensue. And I would suggest to you that this vaccine passport, which is sounding suspiciously like a forced vaccination law by another name, is an example of that. And not just the moral side of this, but also the practical efficacy side of the strategy itself of requiring vaccine papers. The moral problem, of course, is the fact that it is dehumanizing to treat a person is if they don't have the capabilities to make a truly informed and free choice of their own, that they must be forced and coerced into something. The practical failure, of course, is the fact that a vaccine passport doesn't do anything to prevent the easy transmission and spread of the virus. Because the vaccine itself, well certainly at this stage, there's no indication that it's robust enough to actually deliver a, 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 an end to transmission. And you need that. If you're going to argue, if you're going to ignore the moral and argue purely on practical grounds, you need that essential component here. So there you go, another episode of The Dispatches Done and Dusted. If you've enjoyed this, then please, if you're not already a subscriber or a follower, make sure you hit that little subscribe button. Or follow button and you'll keep updated about every single new episode that we publish. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time on the Dispatches. The Dispatches Podcast is a production of Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of our work at patreon.com forward slash foot Media. Link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Dispatches.